0: How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of English Encore. I'm your host, Nick English. Thank you all for tuning in. Today, we'll be talking about the World Series between the Astros Nationals. NFL officiating, how Patrick Mahomes' injury affects the playoff look in the AFC, and then finally, we're talking about some NHL rookies to start the season. Um, so, starting off with the World Series, um, Astros Nationals. Uh, gonna go ahead and start off by tooting my own horn because if you go back a few episodes. When I first started talking about the playoffs made predictions, Um, I actually predicted the Astros and Nationals in the World Series with the Astros winning it all. Um, I was pretty concerned after the two first games where the Nationals took both games on the road in Houston in pretty convincing fashion, Um, a 12-3 win and a 5-4 win, Um, but Astros bounced back nicely and have taken the last two in Washington, 8-1 and 4-1, so Neither team has won a home game yet. Uh, Game 5 is tonight. Um, In Washington, they do a 2-3-2 format, kind of like how the old NBA was um, in their NBA Finals before they eventually went back to a 2-2-1-1-1 format. Um, Definitely a really interesting game tonight. You got uh, Garrett Cole versus Max Scherzer, pitching duel. Um, Game 1, it really wasn't a pitching duel. It was pretty back and forth. Neither team really had a hard time heading off either pitcher, but um, I think it's going to be a lot closer game tonight. Um, three of the four games so far have pretty much been blowouts besides the 5-4 game. Um, the two key players so far in the series, in my opinion, have been Jose Altuve and Juan Soto. Altuve was great in the last series against the Yankees, including that walk-off against Aroldis Chapman um, to win the series for them. And Juan Soto's really carried this team for the Nationals to where they're at now hitting the ball great playing great defense Ryan Zimmerman's been huge for them as well at a big home run in the first game when they had a lot of home runs off of Garrett Cole in Houston it's a very interesting series I don't think a lot of people thought the Nationals were going to get this far it's very intriguing just because they lost Bryce Harper in the offseason and Bryce was a guy who was the face of their franchise Thought was going to be in their long-term future, but he ended up signing with the Phillies who ended up missing the playoffs and ended up firing their head coach at the end of the season, so um, very intriguing to see them there. Astros, I don't think, was a lot of surprise by people just because of how dominant their pitching staff was all year. They've been to the World Series before just a few short years ago, and they have guys like Altuve, Springer, Cole, Granke, guys who have been there before. So It's not surprising that they're there. I'm going to continue to stick with my pick with the Astros over the Nationals. I think tonight's a huge game. I think tonight, whoever wins this game is going to end up winning the World Series. I think this is a lot bigger of a game for the Nationals than it is for the Astros, solely because the Astros do have those next two games at home. So If they do lose tonight, they do have a lot better of a chance of coming back from 3-2 to two down. Whereas the Nationals, if they lose this game tonight, they'll have lost three straight at home after being up 2-0. And then they have to go try to win two more on the road to win the World Series. However, as I mentioned before, no team has won a home game yet. So maybe it's going to be a game seven and the Nationals end up winning it. Who knows? But um, I think the key players um, for each team tonight, I'm going to go outside of Soto and Altuve just because I think they've been most consistent throughout the series. I think Ryan Zimmerman needs to have a big game for the Nationals tonight. And on the Astros side, I'm actually going to go with Alex Bregman, who hit a grand slam in their last game. I think he needs to continue. Um, He struggled a little bit at the plate. Um, I think that grand slam will probably get him going a little bit, so we'll see how he fares tonight. But I still am going to go with my Astros pick, and I think they're going to win this in seven games. I think the Nationals are going to lose tonight and then they're going to win game six and the Astros will win game seven. Um, so now talking about NFL officiating, um, it's just been awful this year. I'm surprised that the ratings have gone up on TV last from last year to this year um, for overall NFL. I thought the games this year have been a lot less entertaining because of the officiating um, before going into today's games. There was 107 games played total, 1,559 penalties called for a whopping total of 13,342 yards. Um, That's pretty incredible. And the reason I want to talk about NFL officiating is mainly because of the challenges and this new pass interference and whatnot. So basically the NFL instituted this new pass interference challenge for coaches after the whole debacle last year. When the Cal Roby Coleman made a blatant pass interference call that the refs missed in the NFC Championship game. That eventually cost the Saints a chance at the Super Bowl and winning it. Um, and this year, going into this week, it's been an awful change. Coaches are 1 for 25 on pass interference challenges. And are 4 for 37 on challenges overall throughout the year. Um, it's just, the rule itself is... It's just not clear enough. They say it needs to be clear and obvious. Well, if a defender's on a receiver and he hits him or grabs him in any way, even if it's the slightest bit, but, and the receiver doesn't catch it, they're still not changing the call. Go back to the Lions-Packers game. Deep ball thrown by Matthew Stafford. I believe it was to Marvin Jones. Not positive. Could have been Kenny Galladay, but... Packers defender draped all over him, pretty much clotheslines him across his shoulder. Nothing gets called. Um, They didn't end up challenging it because I believe they were out of challenges. And then Trey Flowers gets two calls on one drive for illegal use of hands to the face. And on both replays, you can clearly see that Trey Flowers was nowhere near the face mask all the offensive linemen on the Packers, and the Packers go on to win a game they definitely shouldn't have won, and the Lions are now fighting to stay in that division as is. Um, then you look at the Chiefs game against the Texans. Travis Kelsey pretty much gets tackled by a Texans defender. Originally, they throw a flag, and they pick it up because Mahomes wasn't throwing the ball to him. Like, What kind of call is that? Um, I remember a few weeks ago in the Bills game, they were talking about, it against the Titans, uh, Shaq Lawson got held on a play, I believe by Taylor Luan, and it was nowhere really near the play, and the announcer said, oh, I don't understand why the ref has to throw the flag there because he was nowhere near the play, it's not affecting it. Well, that's the case, if they're nowhere near the play, just start holding and grabbing every dude that's nowhere near the ball and it's not going to be a penalty. Um, Clay Matthews and Baker Mayfield got fined for criticizing the officiating um, on social media and in their press conferences and whatnot. Um, you can tell the players are fed up with it. Coaches don't understand how to even challenge a play because they don't even know a clear ruling on it. One of 25, as I mentioned before, on or interference challenges You're telling me on 25 challenges that a coach is wrong on 24 of them, when in most cases they have guys upstairs calling down to them to tell them if they should challenge the play or not. I don't care if a receiver barely pushes off or if a cornerback barely touches a receiver. If it impedes them from making a play on the ball, then it's a penalty. That's what it says in the rules and they're making it seem like pretty much unless your defender is tackling the receiver or the receiver pushes the guy onto the ground, they're not going to reverse the call. And it's just utterly ridiculous. As I mentioned before in the Lions game, it's costing teams games. And I just think it's ridiculous too that you look at just regular old penalties or turnovers and whatnot, There's the refs stand down on the field and they'll make the call and they kind of just stand there for a second almost as if, they're listening from New York, and you've seen refs put their hand on their earpiece in the ear and kind of wait that extra ten to twenty seconds, and all of a sudden the ref goes out and they change the call or something, and then you force a coach to challenge it. It's just getting utterly ridiculous. Um, the NFL has to do something to change it. I don't think this pass interference call is going to be in the NFL this year. That next year, I should mean say, excuse me, they said that it's going to be a one-year trial, and it's clearly not working. Um, the NFL just has to do a better job of laying out rules in general. They're so inconsistent on the hits to the heads, um, the face mask penalties and whatnot. If you're going to be able to challenge calls, you should be able to challenge calls like face masks or, roughing the, or excuse me, hands to the face because those are game-changing calls. If you get called like Trey Flowers did for illegal use of hands to the face and it's an automatic first down on a big third down like it was in the Packers game, well, if he doesn't actually do it, you should have the ability to challenge that and make sure that that call doesn't stand and you don't get a chance at costing yourself or your team the game. Um, I just think it's very inconsistent, and the rules need to be laid out in a better fashion. There needs to be a certain set of plays that need to be challenged, and then they need to change the rule of under two minutes. that They should be able to review more than just turnovers. I mean, they already take the time to review all scoring plays as is, um, which already... in. That's what I also don't get. It takes them 20, 30 seconds on most clear-cut touchdowns to confirm the plays. Well, it should only take 20, 30 seconds to go back and do a review and see if there's illegal use of hands of the face or whatnot, like we saw in the Packers-Lions game last week. Um, it's really not that hard. Just go back, take a quick look at it, and change it. You don't need to be delaying the games five, six minutes and whatnot. Um, and I just think the NFL needs to do something to change this or else they're going to lose more fans going forward. Um, So sifting into Patrick Mahomes, last week he was injured um, on a fourth down and one where he did a quarterback sneak, and he injured his knee. Uh, His knee pretty much popped out of place. They popped back in. Pretty gruesome uh, replay to watch if you were watching it on TV last week. Uh, Matt Moore did a nice job coming in. Um, started off pretty slow, but eventually got it going and led them to a win. At that point, they were already pretty far ahead anyway, so uh, the Broncos didn't really put up much of a fight against them. But just looking at what it could potentially do on the playoff race, he's actually not going to be out, I don't think, as long as they originally thought he was. They said about three weeks, but he was practicing this week. He's not going to be playing today um, against the Packers. On Sunday night, but the biggest thing with Mahomes is it's going to be pretty obvious that he's not going to be 100% for the rest of this year. He was already nursing an ankle injury pretty much since week one, and now he's got a knee injury, Um, especially for a quarterback like him. He's not mobile, but he does things to roll himself out of the pocket and make unreal type throws, and when I say he's not mobile, I just mean he doesn't run as much as guys like Deshaun Watson, Josh Allen, um, players like that, even Russell Wilson. He can definitely expand plays with his legs, but um, you could tell just in last week's game that he wasn't putting a lot of pressure on that ankle. I know Andy Reid took a lot of heat for that play call, fourth and one. You already know your quarterback's a little hurt, and you have him dive forward, and a bunch of guys are diving on him, could injure his ankle even worse. He ended up hurting his knee. It's kind of one of those that if you're going to put him out there and play um, at all, you got to kind of expect he's going to get hit at some point during the game. I get it might not have been the smartest play call, especially when you have Damian Williams, LaShawn McCoy, pretty much any other running back you want, even a fullback back there. But um, and I'm sure Mahomes, if you asked him, isn't going to blame Reed. It's just one of those you wonder if they should have kept him out for a week or something earlier in the season um, just to get that ankle more rested. So he wasn't as hurt, but I don't think he's going to be 100% the rest of the year. Um, I could see him playing next week. We'll see how he practices this week. Um, a loss to the Packers tonight would be pretty big and make them five and three. Um, Oakland's three and three in their division. Chargers are two and five, although they did win today, so they're now three and five. And then the Broncos lost again, so they're now two and six. So as far as their division goes. Um, even a loss tonight doesn't really affect them that much. For the playoff race, though, it could affect them a lot, especially for home field advantage. They're still trying to keep pace with New England, who hasn't lost a game yet, but they still could potentially get that two seed. However, Baltimore, Buffalo, Houston, and then New England, obviously, are all continuing to win games. Um, but Buffalo did lose today, so they're down to 5-2, and two, but they have a pretty easy schedule going forward. Houston and Baltimore have been playing a lot better football lately, and the Patriots have been continuing to dominate. Um, So I don't know if it's going to affect um, the Chiefs' playoff chances in the long run, but as far as the actual seeding, it's going to affect it a lot, even if it is only one or two weeks, just because you don't know if Mahomes is going to be able to come back next week. He could re-injure it if he comes back too soon. Um, Like I said before, even a team like the Colts, Sneaking up there and being good. Um, I think they might have to invest in a better backup. Um, trade deadlines coming very quickly here. So, um, you know, Matt Moore did a nice job last week um, in succession to Mahomes getting hurt. But um, just whether or not you think Matt Moore is going to be able to do it going forward and into the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if they'd reach out a team like the 49ers go after a younger guy like Nick Mullins, even reach out to the Chargers about Tyrod Taylor, um, some other backup options around the league, um, just to feel it out, not saying they have to go and make a move, but do their due diligence to at least go out and try and find a better backup because I just don't think Matt Moore is necessarily going to be the guy that would lead them um, to where they would like to be if Mahomes isn't the way he needs to be the rest of the season once he does come back or if he comes back and gets re-hurt. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but definitely a big impact on the AFC playoff race for teams outside of their division. Um, so now talking about NHL rookies, I'm we'll going go through three players who I think their stock is up for rookies and then three down. We're we'll starting with the three players who I think have not had the best start so far for NHL rookies. Starting off with Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils, number one pick this year. Two goals, three assists, and a negative four rating. The Devils have really struggled out of the gate so far, so I don't want to completely blame Hughes for all of their um, mess that they got going on down there right now, but he's definitely not met expectations to this point. It took him a long time to get that first point in the NHL. Um, a lot of people I thought he was going to come in and just be an immediate impact player, and he hasn't been able to do that so far. He's been getting better lately, but still not the greatest Um Then you got Capo Caco with the New York Rangers, the number two pick. One goal, one assist, and a negative eight rating. He, I think, has been the most disappointing rookie so far. There's a lot of discussion towards um, the uh, beginning of the draft that he actually was going to have a chance to take over Hughes for that number one overall spot, but he's just been really bad for the Rangers. That negative eight rating is really telling. Um, he's fessed up to it and said he needs to be playing better, but um, he just hasn't been good when he's been on the ice. He struggled to really um, find his stride and become a consistent player. Uh, they've been shifting around the lines a lot, so it'll be interesting to see what he does going forward. And then Emil Benstrom of Columbus is the center. Zero goals, two assists, negative two um, is my third one who stocks down. I thought people in Columbus thought he was going to be a solid third liner for them, but he hasn't really lived up to that so far. He is a rookie, but um, I think they're pretty disappointed with how he's played so far, and I think Columbus is still a little bit in shock after they made that big run last year and lost out on bringing back Panarin and Duchesne and Bobrovsky, so I think they were trying to fill a lot of rookies and young guys in to really fill out that lineup, and I think they expected a more out of Emil than um, he could probably give them at this point. So now looking at three players whose stocks are up, uh, talking about Hughes, let's talk about Quinn Hughes from Vancouver, the young defenseman. One goal, 6-6, has been really good so far, playing a lot of heavy minutes in their games. Um, He's really proving that he can be a top four defenseman in this league at a young age. Um, He's kind of back and forth between that second and third line on most nights for defensive pairings, but... He's done a really nice job so far adjusting this game, especially he's not the biggest, but he's holding his own. I thought he was really good for USA when he played for them, but he's doing a really good job for Vancouver. I think Vancouver did a really nice job in the offseason of bringing in some other veteran defensemen to help along, like Tyler Myers. Um, another defenseman who I think has probably been the best rookie so far has been Kyle McCarr of Colorado. We saw him for a bit of time last year. Um, during the playoffs for Colorado. but He's been incredible this year. One goal, nine assists. He's pretty much uh, been filled into one of those top two roles on defensive pairings and really been um, doing great things for Colorado. As they're one of the top teams in the NHL and have Stanley Cup aspirations this year. And then finally, um, from Buffalo, Victor Olofsson, having himself a nice season. Six goals, four assists. Um, him and Makar are tied right now for the most points um, by rookies at 10. Uh, the only problem with Olebson is not even a problem. The biggest knock on him so far is he hasn't been able to really produce outside of the power play. All six goals of his have come on the power play, but um, he's been able to pass puck a lot better. He's made a, he made a nice pass the other night in their 2-0 win against Detroit to Sam Reinhart on the power play. Um, I think he just needs to get a little bit better at 5-on-5, five five, but um, continuing off of his brief stint at the end of last season with Buffalo, he's done a really nice job. Um, so far, I think K.O. McCarr is definitely the favorite to win the best NHL rookie at the end of the year. Um, I do believe Jack Hughes will eventually turn it around, but um, if Buffalo keeps being on this tear and Victor Olsen continues to score goals, right now he's on pace to score an absurd amount, obviously over an 82 2 He's not going to score as many as he's produced so far, but he could definitely get into that 25-30 range. If he does that as a rookie, I think um, his name has to be kept in there. We'll see about Capo Caco, if he can get it going. I'm really not sure right now if he's going to be able to. He's looked very bad so far. Um, He is a rookie, though, so you never know. But next week, we're going to be talking about um, the Bills' playoff chances, um, it took a pretty tough loss today. The Eagles, we're talking about the Bills-Redskins preview, of how they can adjust after this loss this week. We're talking about will the Sabers' hot start be sustainable after they had that 10-game win streak last year and they kind of fell off the face of the earth, whether or not they're going to be able to learn from that this year as they're currently sitting atop the NHL once again. And then which Sabres has been the most impressive so far this season? And quick hint, the answer is not Jack Eichel. And um, my weekly pick them last week I picked the 49ers over the Redskins, which was correct. So it puts me at 5-1 on the year for my predictions. And then this week I'm going with a little bit of an odd pick, but I'm going to pick the Steelers over the Dolphins on Monday night. And I know that might not be an odd pick because the Dolphins haven't won a game this year, but um, Steelers are kind of... Up in the air, they're kind of back and forth, especially with Mason Rudolph injury. We don't know if he's going to play this week or not. Um, but, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you all tune in next week, and I hope you guys all enjoy the rest of your weeks. Thank you, everyone.